Good morning, Simon Trevor Ennis. Good morning, Devin Wilkins. And good morning to everyone out there. We have a little bit of an echo go- going on. There we are. That's better. All right. And good morning to uh, everyone there. And um, this is Insight Peterborough. Welcome. And uh, it is a project of the um, Peterborough chapter of the Canadian Council of the Blind and... And in Big Idea at the Innovation Cluster. All right. This is going to be a really busy show. It's our last show, actually, of the spring season. Oh. Yeah, and um, we will uh, publish information, more details, uh, when we know when uh, our summer show is coming on, for sure. We can't tell you that for sure, but it'll be the week of May 6th. So it might be on the Monday, but we don't know that for sure. All right, um, we're going to be talking about uh, Parkinson's Awareness Month because that's what April is. And um, one uh, artist that people know well who has Parkinson's disease and who has retired because of it is Linda Ronstadt. So here is a song by her called... Girls Talk. Girls Talk, okay.
Hi there. All right. That was Girls <coughs> Girls Talk with uh, Linda Ronstad. And um, in uh, a minute, we're going to have two more people join us. But at the moment, we have a um, gentleman from here in Peterborough, Joe Vancouverton. And I believe you said you're the president? Are you I'm the pre- program director. Oh, okay, program director of the Parkinson's uh, Canada here in Peterborough. Um, so... Uh, Joe, uh, welcome first to the the program. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, can you uh, give us some idea of what Parkinson's disease is? Yeah, for sure. It's a movement disorder, uh, neuro- neurological disease, which doesn't norm- isn't normally fatal, but it it um, is a progressive disease that makes life more difficult as it gets. As you get further along. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the usual age range that uh, you develop it? The normal age range is early 60s, mm-hmm. and it progresses that way. There is a, a second set of Parkinson's disease called early onset, and that's when it comes in between 25 and 35. And that's oh, wow. Michael J. Fox is an example of early onset. Yeah, okay. Hmm. And Linda Ronstadt um, uh, developed it later on in life, did yeah, she? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. She'd be a regular type of occurrence when it happens. Right, okay. Uh, do we have the uh, ladies from Parkinson Canada with us? Can you hear us there? We can. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we have Sandy Jones and uh, Maria Moreno. Good uh, morning and glad to have you with us. Thanks for having us, Devin. Yeah. Um, what are your uh, uh, titles uh, with Parkinson Canada? Um, so Sandy and I are both information referral associates. So we're part of the education team at Parkinson Canada. So we try and provide education to people living with Parkinson's, their care partners, and also we do education for healthcare professionals. So they're able to help uh, their patients. Um, so what Sandy and I do uh, is we actually uh, oversee the helpline. So there's an email address and a helpline that anyone can call across Canada. We also sometimes get calls outside of Canada. And just any question from A to Z relating to Parkinson's, uh, we try to help and support people and uh, answer their questions or direct them to other people who can help them. I think that's about it. All right. That's terrific. Um, So there's a fair bit of uh, research uh, being carried on uh, with regard to Parkinson's, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Uh, We are so excited about all the research. Parkinson Canada um, funds a number of research projects every year. It's a big part of our initiative. And then worldwide, there is tons of other research going on on all different facets of the disease. So trying to diagnose it sooner, developing um, better therapeutics and better medications, and um, helping people manage their, their symptoms. So all across the board, there's a lot of very exciting stuff going on. All right. I heard um, an interesting interview the other day on CBC's, uh, CBC Radio's Quirks and Quarks about being able to um, smell 
the onset of Parkinson's. Um, have any of you heard about that? Yeah, Joe's here nodding his head. What's going on? Yeah, that was a great uh, news release. A, a lady in England went to her doctor and suggested that she had was aware of the change in her husband's body odor over the years that he had Parkinson's. They decided to do a test of that, and they found out that she was able to identify people with Parkinson's with 100% accuracy. The test they did is they they took 12 people, six of which had Parkinson's, six of which didn't have Parkinson's, and had them wear a T-shirt for an extended period of time so they'd have a good scent on it. (laughs) And then they had her tested. And when she did the test, she claimed that seven people out of the 12 had Parkinson's. So they thought her level of accuracy was a little bit off. But eight months later, the one that she identified was later diagnosed with Parkinson's, giving her a perfect score. And I think they're presently continuing that research, hopefully using dogs to help identify the odor, because uh, not all humans have that level of distinction in their ability to to tell different odors, but dogs do. Yeah, their sense of smell is so much more acute, eh? Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, we evolved these wonderful tools as well, and and we just don't use them as much. I don't think people recognize we can do that kind of stuff anymore. That's pretty cool. Holy cow. And uh, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, gosh, I was going to... Joe did an amazing summary of that whole thing, and especially, yeah, that extra piece of... Um, identifying someone who hadn't even been diagnosed yet. The other thing that was really cool and hopefully um, it seems like such a quirky story but hopefully there could potentially be some research that develops out of this is they were also able to identify um, what they think was causing that distinct smell for her so some chemicals that were coming off of the people living with Parkinson's we have no idea what they why they were um, associated with the people with Parkinson's but maybe knowing what those chemicals are will lead us down another a new direction or avenue of research so that was such a cool story I don't know I was really excited about that I can just share that um, Maria's in Maria's past life I mean she's all of about 20 now but anyway <laughs> Maria came to us having been a researcher ah. so when she gets excited about research yeah. I do too <laughs> <laughs> that's great um, and I understand that the odor wasn't uh, from the armpits of these people it was from the, the small of their backs Oh, I think, yeah, I think that was right. It was um different part. It would, she was just given the T-shirt, but I think you're you're right that there was this particular area where the odor was coming off of. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the thing. So would that mean that uh, there might be another cause? Uh, maybe uh, someone could tell us uh, uh, the current thinking about what the cause of Parkinson's is now and if there might be another cause that they might be just discovering. Um, Joe, is it, did you want to, or would you like me to take that? I, I could do it if you like. Doesn't matter. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, the the cause of Parkinson's that I'm most keen on taking a further look at is the impact of pesticides. Oh. Um, and I found there was a great article in the Globe or the Star last week about um, Monsanto and all its quest and the pesticide that they're using to make their their um, Round seeds, Roundup, yeah. is actually very 
bad for Parkinson's. I know as a child, I lived out in the country on a farm, and my dad just hated insects. So he used to send me around the farm with a big duster attached to my chest, and I would spray DDT everywhere around the house to get rid of pests. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think that could have been it. And also harsh chemical use, like in chemotherapy. I had ke- I had cancer in 2000, and after that I spent six months on chemo. And it was an old drug they've been using since the early 50s. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, could have also been a stimulus. But mm-hmm. uh, it seems that for the majority, I think the majority, it seems to be related to some type of environmental pollution that we become exposed to. Wow. Yeah. And... And yet, um, when was Parkinson's discovered? It's been around for a long time, eh? Yeah, it was um, first described in 1817. Uh, It was Dr. James Parkinson's, that's where we named it from, but he called it the shaking palsy. And basically, he was a doctor, and in his community, he noticed a subset of his patients who had similar symptoms. Um, He drew these drawings, actually. You can Google them. It's a a man, you can kind of sense from the drawing that their person probably has a tremor, and that's why he called it the shaking palsy. He's hunched over. Um, He noticed other symptoms that we now associate with Parkinson's, like these individuals um, often experience gastrointestinal issues. Um, So it's really crazy that all those many years ago, he identified these individuals, and now it's developed into this uh, Parkinson's disease, and we know so much more, and he was just going off of his observations, so it's, it's very cool. Interesting. He actually had three patients in his practice that he had identified with the symptoms that Maria has just outlined, and then I think he was probably the first uh, stalker in London, England, because then he did um, a walkabout in the community and found three more people. Oh, really? <laughs> He's pulling people off the streets and throwing out diagnosis? And three people in his practice. Oh. And on that, we have given him uh, the name, or given the, the condition, his name, mm-hmm. which I find really interesting. Because today, if somebody was doing actual research, <laughs> would like, you know, a base of like hundreds of people. Yeah. It's true. I mean, he got it right all those years ago. Mm-hmm. So we're still working on a lot of the things that he saw then. And I just think that's so interesting. But six people all together and if you can imagine somebody walking or I was thinking about when you were talking about the smell I'm thinking in the community uh, decided that they were going to go around smelling people I think we have to be really careful <laughs> about how close we get to people yes <laughs> and actually um, because of James Parkinson's yesterday was actually his birthday oh really and, yeah April 11th is his birthday so that's World Parkinson's Day so mm-hmm. All around the world, people are raising awareness about Parkinson's. April is Parkinson's Awareness Month, so this is a big, exciting time for us. And, and yeah, we're the day after his birthday. Um, yesterday, I was out in the community doing outreach, and, yeah, we're really just trying to raise awareness. So this is an amazing opportunity to be talking to you guys, especially uh, right now, so close to his birthday. Yeah. Well, it's no coincidence that you're on our show today, and we're really glad to have you. Yeah, definitely. Um, I uh, was always under the understanding that uh, Parkinson's had to do with either too much of a chemical called dopamine in, in the brain or too little of. Uh, is that the still the current thinking? 
Yeah, so Parkinson's, as far as um, what is causing the motor symptoms that people are experiencing, it's because, um, so it's like uh, Joe said, it's a neurodegenerative disorder. That means that brain cells, so you have skin cells, you have brain cells. Brain cells in the brain are dying, and the particular ones that are dying in the case of Parkinson's are cells that produce, uh, it's a neurotransmitter, but you can just think of it as like a chemical signal and it's called dopamine. So what happens is as the disease progresses, those cells are dying, that dopamine is no longer available in the brain. And kind of the way that I like to think about it is almost like thinking about a road. If you wanna execute a movement, uh, certain brain signals will have to go through different parts of the brain. You're trying to like get from home and to work. When these cells die, it means that uh, basically that part of the road isn't as readily available, so those signals aren't passing as uh, smoothly as they normally would. So that's why these individuals start having um, issues. So one of the uh, common symptoms of Parkinson's is like a slowness of movement and slowness of muscle function. So that's that's, uh, the reason for that, is that those dopamine cells are dying, if that makes sense. Yes. Okay, great. And just to let you know, the... At the time of diagnosis, probably we've lost 40 to 60% of those cells at that time before it can be diagnosed. Wow. So it's Absolutely. quite progressed by the time it's diagnosed. And what we're attempting to do is deal with that as it slides further to only having 20 to 30% left. Yeah, Joe brings up a really good point. It's true. By the time we are... Um, because we were saying there's all these, we can go into more, but there are so many other symptoms. It's not just those motor symptoms. There are also a number of non-motor symptoms, some of them that happen uh, earlier in the the disease. Uh, So by the time you're exhibiting those motor symptoms, most of, a a bigger portion of those cells have actually already died, like over 50% typically, we think. So it really brings up the importance of early intervention. And one of the things that we're really, passionate about is um, it's really difficult to diagnose Parkinson's, so we're really trying to make sure healthcare professionals understand the symptoms and know what to look for so people aren't waiting as long to get their diagnosis because of the importance of early intervention for our our clients. Joe, can you tell us what uh, some of the symptoms were that you experienced? Yeah, I I was having problems with my left arm and hand and I was in an office uh, work scenario, so I was having difficulty typing with the left hand. Mm -hmm. And also, my left leg was starting to drag. It looked like I had a mini stroke on my left side. And that's what the main, everybody thought it was. But I went through a year of testing until they finally diagnosed it by eliminating everything else that it was indeed Parkinson's. And the final test is, if the medication works, we got the right disease. (laughs) Yeah, Joe's right. That's um, that's a big issue. Is we we don't have a like. There's no blood test to say someone has Parkinson's. Right. You can't get a lumbar puncture. So part of diagnosing it is just based on the doctor's assessment. So you're hoping your doctor knows Parkinson's really well, and then you kind of have to wait to see um, is the are the symptoms progressing the way we would think Parkinson's symptoms would progress, and is someone responsive to the medication? So it's not um, a super definitive test, and if you have to wait to see if you're responsive to medication and if your symptoms are progressing, that means you have to wait uh, quite a while before you can definitively know if you have Parkinson's or not. So that's definitely one of the challenges, and um, just based on the call that Sandy and I receive. I think it's one of the biggest 
um, sources of frustration for people living with Parkinson's. Or that, that period of not knowing? Yeah, exactly. Hmm. What are the statistics uh, with regard to the um, uh, prevalence of Parkinson's in Canada? So we um, there are about a hundred thousand Canadians living with Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we what we really think about is so you think of a hundred thousand Canadians who are living with Parkinson's, but they have families, they have care partners, they have healthcare professionals who are working with them. So it's not just it's the hundred thousand Canadians, but it's all the other people around them who are impacted by Parkinson's. So the number really uh, grows exponentially if you think of. The way that Parkinson's can affect a community. Um, the other thing, as far as statistics is, you know, we're you know, modern medicine. We're living longer, which is amazing. Uh, but the biggest risk factor for Parkinson's is age. So if we're living longer and our population is aging, uh, that means the incidence rate of Parkinson's is going up, and we actually expect it might double by 2031. 31. So. Um, it's something that is very pressing on our minds and also thinking about how that'll impact like our healthcare system. Uh, so these, il- these illnesses are, are really important, we feel. Yeah, that's only 11 years from now, my goodness. Well, 12, I guess, technically, but uh, gee whiz, that's uh, kind of alarming. Yeah, I feel like we often are talking to folks that are saying, we're going to try and eradicate or we're going to try and find all new cures, but you're saying that there are going to be twice as many people with the disease in 10 years? Uh, well, uh, yeah, potentially, just because, again, as we're living longer, um, there are some people who think, you know, if you just lived indefinitely, probably everyone would develop uh, either like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or these sorts of disorders. Yeah. So, um, it, yeah, we do think that the numbers are going to be increasing because we are living longer and our population is aging. Yes, yeah, Cindy, did you have something you wanted no, to say? I just wanted to say that um, we know, of course, you know, over the time, that we all lose brain cells as we age. Mm-hmm. And so what we know, uh, again, it just makes sense. That is what Maria said, is that if we all live longer, that d- eventually we would all develop something, uh, a, a brain issue, because our brains control everything that we do. Mm-hmm. So um, as I said, it's, it's, uh, it's, it is scary. I find it scary. Um, I, as a baby boomer myself, um, I'm very aware of the fact that, you know, as Joe said to begin with, most people uh, who are diagnosed definitely are diagnosed over the age of, of 60. Um, and But there are, we've met lots, lots, hundreds and thousands of people um, who actually have this condition much younger. So we used to think of it as an older person's condition. Yeah. And But it's definitely not. Wow. When we think of how it impacts people, um, in their 60s, um, then we think about those young, young people who literally have the rug pulled out from under them at their prime of life. Wow. Young parents who may not be able to hold their children, may not be able to even think about walking their children down the aisle. Uh, young men and women who had a job and can no longer function in that job. So it's it's a very uh, a very big issue. So having the opportunity to have awareness about the fact that it's not just an older person's condition, I think, is very important. Were you going to say something, Simon? Yeah, I feel like uh, always looking for something something we can do about it. I mean, 
what can we do about this? Is there something that we as individuals can do to reduce our chances? Or is there something that we can do as a community to to make some progress or to help to help the progress that's being made? Some of the things you can do are health-related. Obviously, better health is better all the way around. <clears throat> but for Parkinson's, the, the fitter you can be, the better. That's why a lot of us that are now afflicted with it have gone back to getting back in shape. And we've tried locally to develop as many programs as we can to offer different levels of activity for people with Parkinson's. Um, there's concerns around diet and where you're getting different contaminants potentially from your diet and dairy and red meats are right on the top of the list. Wow. And unwashed vegetables and stuff. So, mm -hmm. you know, the cry for organics is back out there from our perspective that we should be looking at that. Um, so... I was just chatting uh, yesterday, actually. Um, he came to our um, meeting, chapter meeting of the uh, Canadian Council of the Blind, a young fellow named uh, Joe Dawson, and he's uh, into boxing, and uh, he's one of your volunteers, isn't he, uh, Joe? Yes, he's um, volunteering with Good Life to help give us boxing instruction whenever they're short. He used to be a good life full-time instructor, but he's gone off to be a firefighter. But he loves our group, so he comes back, and we have 12 to 14 people show up twice a week to do boxing, and we really enjoy it. In, yeah. in fact, the Trent University is getting involved. They're looking at the impact of boxing and other exercise programs as as per sociological impact on members of, of the classes. So we're looking forward to seeing the results of those two studies that are being done probably by the 21st of May of this year. All right. Cool. That's great. Cool things happening at Trent. Yeah, that's for sure. I do want to get, uh, we do want to get into uh, local fundraising in a minute here, but there is a question that is on my mind that I wanted to ask. We were talking about early onset Parkinson's. Um, d does that tend to be more as severe or more um, aggressive than uh, Parkinson's that you might develop later on? Um, the truth of the matter, I believe, is the fact that uh, younger people, it, it actually, in some cases, actually even looks like a different condition. Oh. It doesn't progress as quickly. However, the uh, impact really comes to uh, into uh, play with the side effect of the medications. People with uh, young onset Parkinson's tend to have uh, much uh, bigger, more severe side effects uh, to the medications than uh, people who are, are older when they're diagnosed. So um, it's, it sounds like a bit of an oxymoron that you know, maybe the progression isn't as great. However, the side effects of the medication can be very uh, difficult for people to uh, to live with. So that's, uh, I think that's the easiest way to answer that question. Okay. Now, I, we did mention uh, fundraising, uh, Joe, and this uh, is the time uh, that you're doing a lot of that, uh, probably. Um, what uh, events have you got uh, scheduled? Well, in this month, we put together an interesting event. It's called the Pie and Vinyl Sale. 
And um, love it. We've been gathering vinyl from albums from all our different members, and now I've got about two thousand or so tucked away in my basement that we're sorting and alphabetizing and pricing. We've got a couple of our members who really know their records, and so they're doing the pricing. And then we got a bunch of volunteers that will come down, and we're going to bake about 60 or 70 pies for the event. And the event is April 27th, and it's going to be at the Mount Community Center. And with a $10 donation at the door, you get a slice of pie, a coyote Coyote Coffee, and a $5 off coupon for any albums you want to pick up. So probably half the albums are are a dollar because there's a lot of those around. But then we've got great albums from from the 60s and 70s in great condition. We got a white album, Beatles White Album, that was actually bought by one of our members on the day of the release in Toronto. Wow. Not one Not one dollar. No, it's not a dollar. <laughs> We've used eBay and that and Amazon to give us some pricing leads on that, but they'll be definitely cheaper than what they're posted on there. Right. Yeah. So, that's really cool. Yeah. So that's our our oh. new event. Then in the end of May, we've we've been participating in the Gilmore Street Sale for quite a few years. Okay. Bill and Vivian Heinmiller, who live on that street, are actually the original chapter organizers. And they're stepping back after almost 25 years of supporting Parkinson's through community action. Wow. And um, Kudos to them, eh? Kudos, and we yeah. use their front yard and trample the grass down. And, <laughs> and we do, we'll do. we be doing a, a barbecue with King Street Meat Market. And um, also Vivian does plant sales. And we do all that. And that, that all that money will go towards... The Superwalk program, which is the major program in the fall, which all the areas are involved with. And then ours will be on September 7th, the Saturday, and it's at um, TAS. I think it's Thompson. Oh, Thomas, oh, Thomas, Thomas A. Stewart. Stewart on Armour Road there, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's where it is. And last year we, we raised over $50,000 from this community, oh, wow. cool. which went towards research through Parkinson's Canada. So we're a big supporter of that. And and actually our poster guy for that will be a young guy who was 25 when he got diagnosed with Parkinson's. And he's quite an amazing kid who's keeping his chin up and a broad smile, even though he's really being impacted by the disease. That's that's really great that he's participating. How much of uh, what percentage... um, of uh, funds raised uh, goes to research and what would go to patient care? Um, From our end, what we're trying to do is half the money that we're raising goes to support our local program, Mm -hmm. and the other half we send to Toronto, to Parkinson's Canada, to add to the research. All right. So so we, we will keep... About five thousand to help our local programming, and actually the fifty thousand from Superwalk will go to national research, which I'm sure these ladies will appreciate. Yeah, we have we um, our research program. Um, I just from our perspective, and again because Sandy and I are receiving a lot of the calls. So, and because of my research background, I really um, I'm really fond of the way we conduct our research structure. So. Um, we have this concept of leveraging research funds. 
So um, to get big money from like the government of Canada, you need to have a lot of foundation for uh, whatever you want to study. So it means that if someone has a really novel idea, um, it's not easy to get that kind of money because there's no background. So what Parkinson Canada does is we fund um, preliminary projects. So if someone has a new idea, um, like about how to diagnose Parkinson's or um, something that might be useful for a medication, uh, we give them kind of like that starter money so they can test their idea. And then if it works, they have some evidence that they can now uh, bring to other funding agencies and then get even more money. The other thing that we fund that I think is really important and again, really related to what uh, Sandy and I do is we also fund fellowships uh, for movement disorder specialists. Um, we talked about how it's hard to diagnose Parkinson's. Uh, people who are especially trained in par Parkinson's, these are neurologists who've gone on to do additional training in movement disorders. Mm -hmm. um, they are really knowledgeable, but there aren't as many of them in Canada, so they're really long wait times. So what Parkinson's Canada does is uh, we fund fellowships for uh, these doctors so they can do research. And again, it's just encouraging individuals to get into the field of Parkinson's so that those resources are more available for our, our clients. All right. Um, folks, unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap this up, but let's get some contact information there. Um, um, shall we shall we find out um, from Toronto first uh, where we should be um, writing or uh, checking on the website or whatever? For yeah. Um, if anyone has any questions, again, you can call our helpline. So it's one eight hundred five six five. Uh, 3000 and then you can be directed to Sandy or I we can answer questions you can also go on our website or email info at Parkinson uh, no s at the end uh, dot ca and again those emails will come to us and we can answer them um, just one thing before we go I just wanted to take a minute to um, acknowledge people like Joe so um, Parkinson Canada, the way we have our big outreach is really through volunteers like Joe and the individuals that he were talking about he was talking about who were running the chapter for twenty five years. That's a really common story and as from our perspective, when we are receive a call from someone who's newly diagnosed and we know that we're passing them off to someone who runs a support group who is involved and passionate to the cause as well, it's it really means a lot to us. So uh, Parkinson Canada at our home office we're so grateful for the people in the local communities who are extending our reach and extending our support. So people like Joe are just amazing, just to give that acknowledgement. And uh, Joe, how would uh, people get hold of uh, the local support group? Well, the easiest way is you can go to, I have a personal website, and it's called joewithpd.com. And uh, you can go there and you'll see our section on the Peterborough chapter and all the meetings are listed and all the special events that are going on, all the activities that we're doing. And I keep try to keep a news feed on there as well as things that are occurring in Peterborough. Terrific. And um, I, for one, will not forget uh, April 27th with that uh, pie with vinyl sale. Right on. <laughs> I'm all about that pie, too. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, folks, for being with us. We really appreciate this. Thanks for having us. Okay. Hey, thanks. Bye thanks. now. Bye. Bye.
Joe, thank you very much, and uh, we'll uh, definitely keep in touch. Okay, thank you. All right. Simon, do we have uh, time for a song? Um, we sure do, Devin. It's uh, only 10.39. Oh, all right. Okay, that sounds good. Let's do uh, one by the Peterborough New Horizons Band, um, uh, See You Again. This is the... Uh, uh, we'll be hearing more about the... Uh, 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 New Horizons band, but uh, I belong to the Allegro band, which is the third level up, and this is one of the songs that uh, we've been working on. Here you go. <laughs> see you again and uh, if the recording was a little distorted it's my fault because I was using uh, um, I recorded which I sat on the floor <laughs> to do that with and the reason um, that uh, I wanted to, to play that is that uh, one of the fundraisers later on for the Multiple Sclerosis Society um, a group here in uh, Peterborough which will be at the end of May is the uh, our May concert, and the Peterborough New Horizons band is going to be uh, donating um, some of the proceeds to the Multiple Sclerosis Society. Um, but to talk about MS with us, I did a uh, pre-recorded interview last night with Christine Annett, who is not all, all no. 
sorry, not only a member of the band, but also um, the one of the two ambassadors for uh, the Multiple Sclerosis Society here in Peterborough. So here is my chat with Christine. So, Christine, thanks very much for being on the program with us again this year. Oh, you're welcome. No problem. Um, can we talk a little bit first about what multiple sclerosis is? Well, actually, uh, multiple sclerosis is a disease. It affects the central nervous system, which is your brain and your spine. And and also, like, yeah, as people forget, your optic nerves are part of that, too. It's a really big nerve in your body. Mm-hmm. And it's the biggest nerve. And, and it's connected, like, to your brain. So, so um, it's, it's usually affected very much. Um, it's, uh, it's now considered an autoimmune disorder. So, uh, and there's lots of them out there now. There's all different ones. There's rheumatoid arthritis. I'm going to get them wrong. And, <laughs> um, I think lupus is autoimmune now. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It's basically, there's something mucked up with your immune system that tells it to attack part of your your nervous system. And the specific part that it goes for is the myelin sheath. So in your brain, all the nerves, and in your spinal cord and your optic nerve, all, all those nerves are wrapped up by a nice coating and it's called the myelin sheath. And for some reason, the the nervous or the um, uh, immune system decides that it's going to attack those cells instead of fighting off other things. Um, or actually, sometimes it has already fight, like fought off all like the bad things that are have sort of gotten into your body, like you know things from the cold, uh, having a cold or the flu or or um, other. Um, infections and things like that. So your body has learned how to fight that off, but it won't shut off, and it'll continue to fight, thinking, oh, I'm going to do a good job here, and it'll attack the myelin sheath, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, You need that. You need that covering over the nerves, because without it, you get uh, screwed up uh, nerve signal. It's like having a cell phone that you can't get the signal or you're getting partial stuff or, or, or you get cut off um, in the middle of your conversation or you get that weird feedback. And uh, so it's a bit like that. You know, the holes in your myelin sheath uh, can give you this, this problem. So and myelin sheath is on every single nerve in your body. So if you have, have holes, uh, then the signal isn't going through and you're, Body say, move that arm, move that hand. Um, you know, sense sense what that feels like. Is it hot or cold? Um, and it it just doesn't work anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of uh, colds and flu and that sort of thing, are there any infectious diseases that are known to to lead to MS? Well. I've heard about roseola, for example, years ago. Oh, ro- ro- uh, rosacea, you mean? Uh, 
no. Anyway, um, roseola is kind of like a, a rash that a lot of kids get, you know, that oh. has a rosy color to it. You know, it's not really proven. You know, they, they actually, they don't really know. Like, it's, it's thought to be genetic. Uh, they can't figure it out. I don't know if totally, like, there are some situations where people have a lot of occurrences of MS in their family. Now, in my situation, I had the flu for a couple days, and shortly, and I got over it really fast. Like, usually, normally when you sort of get first symptoms of the flu, you're kind of down and out for about five days. Mm -hmm. I was really just sort of, sort of was getting stuff, and, and I was, like, almost better, like, the next day. Really? And I was like, well, that was fast. <laughs> and, uh, but then the day after that, I was, like, had a major MS symptom. Did not know then that that was MS. But it's sort of like my immune system was triggered by the flu that I had. It went into overdrive and dealt with the flu really quickly, which mm -hmm. is great, you know, and sort of, well, in just being able to live life, it, it's like, wow, wow, I got over that fast where everybody else is, is still sick for a while. But, um, but it didn't shut off and started attacking uh, actually my optic nerve. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I, like, on the second day, I woke up and couldn't see out of one of my eyes. Oh, dear. And, uh, and I was, you know, extremely upset and disturbed, and I uh, didn't know what I was going to do, and thought something was wrong, and thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going blind, and, yeah. you know, and, you know, it was really, you know, really upsetting. And, um, and but it was, you know, the same day I went to see, um, my doctor, the next day I was in to see uh, an eye doctor, well, like an optometrist who makes glasses. Mm -hmm. she, uh, she quickly went, uh, I think this is optic neuritis, but I want you to see the, see the, you know, bigger doctor. You can go see the ophthalmologist. And so then I was in to see him, and he said, oh, yeah, you have optic neuritis, and this just doesn't happen. You just don't go to sleep one night and wake up with it. If there's an underlying cause. Oh, yeah. So, um, so that's when the investigations got started, and uh, they, well, so there's three possible causes for optic neuritis, and um, one of them is diabetes, and which is, you know, fairly common, mm -hmm. and, um, and I was, I mean, I, I didn't necessarily not fit the profile for diabetes, like, but I didn't think I had diabetes, because, you know, every doctor visit, every blood work thing, you know, was always screened, and I was always okay, and I was like, oh, I don't know, okay, but so that, that was an easy blood work test, mm -hmm. and the second possibility was um, pernicious anemia, Oh wow! and, and I thought, well, that sounds pretty, that <laughs> 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 <Not> one, <laughs> and, uh, but I, I didn't know what it was, and I quickly checked out, you know, internet, and figured out what pernicious anemia was, and I'm like, oh, it, it's low B12, and uh, and it's often correctable if you catch it soon enough and you can get your B12 stores up again and uh, you can, it, the symptoms can go away. And um, um, so, but if you don't catch it soon enough, you can yeah, run into a lot more problems. Uh -huh. So I was like, yeah, hey, I want that one because <laughs> <laughs> we can deal with that. And then, of course, then he said, well, the third thing is MS. 
and uh, and he, he, you know, so we're quickly screening out the first two easy ones through blood work, and the third one, um, uh, I had an MRI, and um, and the MRI showed that yeah, I had the typical pattern and lesions on my brain, um, and it, it was MS. Oh wow. Yeah. And how old? The tests were clear, like because of those ones being clear. I was pretty sure even long before I was officially told that I had MS. Ah, okay. Yeah. And how old would you have been about that? I was thirty-seven. Oh, okay. Ah. Uh -huh. Does it affect um, people differently? Like, could someone wake up and not be able to move their arm, for example? Or? I think so. I think so. My, yeah. That's my story that initially I couldn't see, but I believe so. I think there are people that also experience, like, something something funny with their arm or their leg and for a while, and it gets deferred to be something else. Well, actually, I... I actually did have some symptoms that were probably MS, oh. like 10 years before I was diagnosed. Really? Yeah, really. Wow. Like, when I look back at them, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know that whole thing? That was weird. Uh-huh. And it went away. So then we just stopped investigating. Right. Uh, yeah. And I had, uh, but yeah, 10 years before I was diagnosed, I was uh, moving into my house, and moving boxes and picking up stuff and um so i would have been 10 years younger like 27 i guess yeah and um no i think it was no i was older than that i was 30 and uh when i was anyway, i wasn't 27 then and uh so yeah i was in my 30s like early 30s and um and i was moving boxes and picking up stuff and i thought i had pulled a muscle or something in my back and because my leg was no, what I can't remember which leg it was even now. Yeah. My, but only one of them, just the one leg was like numb, <laughs> and uh, uh, and it was the weirdest thing. And I was going to a chiropractor at the time, still am, still same chiropractor, he's really good. <laughs> and uh, and he was so frustrated because he's like, oh, you, it must be must be sciatica, and he was convinced he could you know, um, do his adjustments and, and it would go away. And he's like, but this doesn't fit because I wasn't in any pain. It didn't hurt. And my mobility was good. It was just numb. Yeah. And he's like, well, okay, it's usually three things, but you should have all three things. And he, then he thought, then he kind of went back and said, well, maybe it's possible because it is a big nerve that goes down into your leg. And it's like, well, maybe it's just sort of, just one part of the nerve that in you anyway it was really weird and and he kept doing his things and he kept thinking it was going to get better and it wasn't really getting better based on what he was doing mm -hmm. and um and uh anyway i the day i moved actually like moments after they handed me the key to my new house mm -hmm. my leg it was like it was like uh blood flowed into my leg it was re like this wow. crazy, yeah it was crazy it was a crazy sensation it was like it was almost like um i had actually like cut off the blood supply to the leg and, and feeling and and then it was returning and so they handed me the key and it was just <laughs> way so they stress is a huge thing mm -hmm. along with ms high levels of stress can bring on symptoms 
in looking back, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I think that was that was a thing, that was a symptom, and it was an early one, and I didn't recognize it as MS. No. Well, especially after it went away. Yeah, and it went away. And that's the, that's also um, one of the types of MS. It's called relapse remitting. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, how it happens is you... So we're just going to stop it there. Yeah, unfortunately, we're going to have to because we're running out of time. However, you can get it from our podcast, which will be up early Saturday afternoon. And that is HTTPS insight, uh, sorry, colon back, so colon slash slash insight Peterborough dot PTBO podcasters dot CA. And this is the last um, show of the spring season, but we will be back uh, the week of uh, May 6th, and we will uh, try to um, reach as uh, many of you to tell you about just exactly when. So thanks, uh, Simon, for this. Thank you, Devin. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, we're just going to... There we are. And we're just going to put on a little music, and uh, we'll uh, chat with you folks later. And just to be clear, you can just Google uh, Insight Peterborough, and you'll find the podcast. Yes. Find us. Find us online. Yes, please do. Okay, bye, everybody. Bye. And are there various types of MS? Yeah, there's four, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, um, so uh, I'm going to use my computer here. And uh, so I can get accurate types of MS. I knew what I was going to ask. Large. <laughs> I love these. Um, so relapse remitting, that's the most common form. That's the kind I have. Mm-hmm. And um, so you basically kind of have an attack or, and, you know, and you have symptoms. And then 
you have a period of time where it's not really active, and sometimes your symptoms will completely go away, like 100% go away, wow. or, or you'll get down to a state where they're minor, or you're sort of left with some damage, mm-hmm. but, you, but you can tell you're not really in an active um, time, yeah. you know, with it, yeah. you know, it's, you know, because when it's active, all those symptoms are really, you know, you just... You know, like if it's your eye, your your eye is really badly affected. You know, and it's, and then when it settles down, you actually get some vision back. Mm-hmm. And and then if you have further attacks and say it affected your eye, um, you may again go like completely blind in that eye again. But then if you have another re, uh, remitting stage, you can again gain some vision back. But there's a point where there's still some damage that just stays. In the eye. Yeah, so you never quite get back to where you, you were in the first. Get back to 100. Uh-huh. percent Yeah. So primary progressive is you've already had you've had relapse remitting, so you'd get an attack and then you go into a remission, then you'd have another attack and it'd go into a remission, but then it switches so that you're just you're just always progressing. You're just it. You don't really get remissions anymore. Right. It's horrible, actually. Um, as I'm just that's not what you. But this often happens. A lot of people who have relapse remitting, at some point during their life, and it might be 20 years down the road, it might it might be it might not even happen for them. But it, but a lot of a lot of people with relapse remitting will switch at some point into secondary progressive. Oh wow! Yeah, mm-hmm. and primary progressive actually is that right from the beginning you never ever had a relapse, like you never you never. Um, had remission? Um, you never had a remission. Yeah. It just progresses right from the start. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I understand that MS is very prevalent in Canada. Yeah, they think that we, we have um, the highest uh, occurrence. Do they know why? No. <laughs> you can figure it out. Yeah. Oh, I'll be happy. I mean, they have some guesses. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the guesses is that it's just because of our lack of sunlight. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it's sort of, I mean, at one point they used to say that Alzheimer's was, uh, was um, uh, you know, more often with people who had dogs. Oh, really? Interesting. <laughs> but it's just, I think it's, it could be easily be just one of those crazy statistics that it's like, so, so I mean, it, yes, it does occur a lot in Canada. So they're thinking, well, what's, what's special about Canada? So, so that's been, that's been one of the, one of the theories right now that it might have something to do with, um, with, uh, you know, not getting enough vitamin D. Right. And, um, because we have like, nearly six months of the year where we have limited sunlight. Yeah, that's true. And mm. your body makes vitamin D just by going outside in the sun, which is right. neat how it does that. And um, But to do that, it has to be exposed skin. So we live in Canada, and it's not like I'm going to go out in January and expose my skin no. so that I can make vitamin D. So that's a theory. I know they're doing a fair bit of uh, research Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, every day they're doing research. And it, it's research in, like, why, why, are, why is it happening? And it's research in, in uh, cures, trying to find a cure. 
and uh, or trying to find better ways to treat symptoms or better ways to, um, um, you know, just keep the disease uh, under control, or or at a dormant state or anything like that. There's been so yeah, research is in all different areas, which is good. And is that funded in large part by the Multiple Sclerosis Society? Yeah, it's um, any, like, Multiple Sclerosis Society does a lot of fundraising, um, and a big portion of it goes towards uh, research and in trying to find a cure. So. And does some of the money raised go to patient care? Some of it does. Um, uh more often, like things that are like local fundraisers will stay locally, and that'll be uh, used to get assisted devices to help people who are local um, that need certain things, like maybe chairlifts um, or stairlifts, you know, uh, for their homes. Um, at one point, there was an air conditioning program. I don't know if that still happens mm-hmm. and, uh, because you know we we don't do well in hot weather mm-hmm. and. Um, so, so there are different fundraising programs. The big one that goes uh, towards a lot of the research and um, is the walk that's happening on May 26th. Mm-hmm. It's a Sunday. Okay. And Peterborough is happening on May 26th at um, um, St. Peter's High School. Okay. And um, that that one, most of the, all that money goes towards the yeah, MS research. So, and, um, starting at what time? I think um, registration starts at nine o'clock. Okay. And um, you can also pre-register by going to the website, basically MS Society of Canada's website, MSSociety.ca. Okay. And, and uh, you can go there and you can find uh, locations of walks because they are also, if you can't do Peterborough's, there's also one in uh, Lindsay, there's one in Coburg, um, I know there's one in Ottawa coming up soon. So if you're not in the Peterborough area, there, there, there's walks everywhere. All right. So that is one of, that's probably the biggest fundraising event for MS. And if and, people were to click on Peterborough, would the money raised come here then? With the money raised? Uh, no, it still goes to the national, it's a national oh. fund. Yeah, okay. So that money doesn't come locally. Um, but stuff that does come locally is through the MS Carnation Campaign. Okay. Um, which is happening. We have all different fundraisers. <laughs> and that, the MS Carnation Campaign is happening uh, for Mother's Day, which is uh, May 12th, I think. Yes, I think so. I think that's right. Mother's mm-hmm. Day this year. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so it's so we're doing, actually, I'm involved with this, this project. It's huge. And um, the Carnation Campaign has also been happening for about 30 years in Peterborough, which is also kind of interesting and amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a fundraising uh, thing, you know, being that um, MS does affect a lot of women. A lot of those women are mothers. Um, a lot of people who have MS also have mothers. Yeah. <laughs> Stress that, that, you know. Their children have, have, you know, MS. And uh, so we started this campaign, like, quite a while ago. And um, and it works by um, 
uh, selling carnations in the community. And so there's two sort of ways that we do it. One is basically street sales. And so on the Saturday, which is May 11th, and also wait, so even the Friday, the Friday, the Saturday, we will be on the streets in front of banks, uh, beer stores, um, Giant Tiger, um, all different locations throughout Peterborough, mm-hmm. and selling carnations. And this year we're focusing on this small uh, six-inch, uh, I think they're about six-inch high okay. and maybe four inches across, um, and they're potted. So there's soil in them, and you can put them in your garden. They're biennials, and uh, they're they're beautiful. And um, and we're also selling uh, single cut flowers, but those are we we have actually finished that. They they were all done with a pre-order um, plan, and those are going to restaurants. Oh, so about 20 restaurants in Peterborough that are participating with this, which is amazing. I was involved with that. Personally, Great. and um, so so they there's about 20 of them that will be supplied with uh, single carnations on the Saturday, so that they can give them to their patrons on Sunday, Mother's Day, oh, yeah. which is probably the biggest restaurant day of the entire year. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, so yeah, there's about 20 of them, and if your restaurant isn't giving out carnations. Uh, you can ask them why not. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, uh, so I know, like off the co- off the top of my head, you know, uh, Ricky's is participating. Ricky's is participating a lot this year. They are also helping us with a kickoff breakfast. Um, yeah, they're 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 big big uh, uh, they're big in helping us, which is great. Um, Kelsey's is both the Kelsey's. Uh, well, sorry, I talk like there's both. There are two. One is in uh, Lindsay, and the other one's in Peterborough, and they're also uh, linked with Montana, so they're participating. And um, anyway, that's just an example of some of them. But, uh, yeah. Boston Pizza is involved, so, yeah, um, which is really great. Super. Yeah. And do you have any other fundraisers happening during the month of May? There's a third one that's um, really good, and that's actually – linked up with the band that we participate in. Mm-hmm. Peterborough New Horizons band. Peterborough New Horizons. And that's the, fun, uh, that's the fundraiser concert that PNHB puts on every year. And every year they try and uh, come up with a new recipient for the, um, or newer, different recipient uh, of the, um, of the, some of the proceeds from the concert. And this year it's going to be the Anna Society of Peterborough. It's going to stay local. That's great. Uh, now, suppose there is somebody listening to this interview that would like to um, get involved uh, with the local chapter. Um, do you meet uh, once a month, or what's the contact information? Do you mean like somebody who has MS? Yeah. Um, well, they can contact the MS Society in Peterborough. You can phone Ann Driscoll who is um, the, uh, she's actually the fundraiser coordinator. Okay. The whole um, Durham, Peterborough, uh, Halliburton, Kortha Lakes region. Mm-hmm. And, um, or one of them, she, there actually might be another one. 
And um, the number for the MS Society is 705-748-4221. Okay. And, and, uh, and she would, she's a good local contact, and, uh, and she can also get you, you know, she can sort of screen out what you need and get you directed into the right, right uh, people. Yeah. Yeah, this is good. Okay. Um, is there anything else we should be talking about that you might like to highlight? Um, I'm involved with Carnation Campaign. Yeah. And right now, we are in need of volunteers. Oh. Badly, very badly. Again, you could phone that same number, the, the Andrew number at the MS Society, 748-4221. We need volunteer drivers who can um, pick up and deliver uh, carnations to either sites where they're selling or restaurants uh, that are going to be uh, giving them out uh, for their patrons. And um, and also it would be also picking up money to bring back to the bring back to the uh, society. And um, so there's a bit of trust there that's needed. Yes. And um, um, yeah, so we're and we're also looking for uh, volunteers who are also available to maybe give like two or three hours to sell at, at, at various sites that we have set up throughout the city. I'll actually sell carnations. Okay. Um, it's a good way, like if you have a, a student who's in high school uh, and they need to get their volunteer hours, that's really good, but we need an adult with them because there's money involved. Again, if you're interested in doing the walk, you can contact that same number, 748-4221, and, um, and talk to Ann, and she can help you get started with setting up a team um, or linking you into uh, doing the registration, and uh, which is a lot of fun. The walk is a lot of fun. Good. And, um, yeah, so those are specific needs that are going on right now. I guess all in our concert, if you need tickets, Def definitely. <laughs> they can contact you. Yes. Or they can contact me. Um, my number is 705-876-8824. I will, I will find you and I can get you tickets. I believe they're $10, aren't they? Yes, they are. <laughs> yeah, I don't <laughs> and yeah. they're $10. Yeah. And great concert, too. Yeah, good evening's entertainment, that's for sure. Well, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us, and I hope all of your fundraisers go really well. Yeah, well, thank you.